You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. If you're next, if you're lucky enough to be sitting next to your mom, would you give her a little side hug, smooch on the cheek? Is anybody's mom here today? Uh, you may have to climb over some people to do that. That's worth it. We're glad to be able to celebrate today, uh, Mother's Day. And uh, we're, we're in a series today beginning what we started several weeks ago uh, in the Gospel of John. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 5. Uh, we're actually going to be in John chapter 5. Then we're going to go backwards and go to chapter 4 and uh, read a story uh, there as well. Um, how many of you guys have ever um, like seen or experienced a miracle? Like you, you experienced it, you saw it, you went through it, and now that you've gone through it, you kind of look back and you think, that was a miracle. How many of you guys would, would raise your hand and say, I think I've seen a miracle? Yeah. I mean, I could give you a lot of different examples in my life of different um, instances and different things that have happened where I can look back and say that was the hand of God. And I think a lot of times uh, these, these situations are taking place in our life and, and, and we're seeing miraculous things happening. And yet sometimes we don't actually give God the credit for them and we think just circumstance or we maybe don't think through it enough. But I really believe we see miracles on a, on a weekly basis, if not daily basis. And if we could just look at our salvation, I mean, that in and of itself is a miracle. The fact that some of our men in the room are married to, you know, these ladies, that's a miracle, right? And so um, we, we, we take them for granted, but I think that the times in, in where we kind of look and we raise our hands is like, yeah, I think I've seen a miracle. I think when we actually recognize that miracle is really out of a moment of desperation. Because it's in that moment of desperation where we are a little bit more intentional about praying and seeking or asking God to do something miraculous in our life. And, and then maybe he answers that prayer or he you know, comes through for us in the way that we were hoping. And, and we look at that and we say, that, yeah, right there, that was a miracle. Um, and so when I look at God's word today and when I see the stories that we're about to read, I, I see two men that are in desperation. And so it's interesting because we all respond differently in moments of desperation, in moments in our life where we are so desperate that, that God would show up and do something. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying desperate in this situation like, you know, I need a date. I'm desperate. I'll take anybody, man. You know, not that kind of desperate. I'm talking so desperate that if God doesn't show up, then it's just not going to happen. You're, you're like so far in a financial hole that, that if God doesn't do something miraculous, then you don't know if it's even gonna, you don't know how it's gonna work out. If God doesn't intervene in your marriage and if, if there's not a miracle in that relationship, it, it, I just don't know how it's, it, it's gonna work. You're so desperate because you know, you know somebody who is sick um, and they're deathly ill and if, and if God doesn't answer your prayer, then they're gonna die. You need a miracle. Maybe you specifically need a miracle. And so my question for us today as we jump into God's word is, how do you respond in moments of desperation? How do you respond in, in times in your life where you are desperate for God to do something? You are, you are in a desperate situation. How do you respond to life? We're gonna see two different stories today, two different responses, one good, one not so good. And I wanna start with the not so good story in John chapter five, beginning in verse one. We'll read the first uh, nine verses and then hang tight. Just leave your Bibles open. 
Chapter five, verse one says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now Jesus comes to this man who has been paralyzed. He, he's, he's called an invalid. So basically he's, he's crippled, he's paralyzed in some way. And, and he had been there at this pool for 38 years. This is a man who is desperate. Why is he by this pool? The, the, the term Bethesda, or these pools of Bethesda means the house of mercy. And so um, this was a place where many sick people were gathering uh, because in these pools there uh, was, a, was a myth that had uh, developed. And, and they, the myth was that when the water was stirring or when it was bubbling, that there was an angel that was actually stirring up the water. And the first person to get into the water after it stirred up uh, was going to be healed, was going to uh, have whatever infirmity, whatever uh, was wrong with them healed. And so uh, many uh, people are, are hanging around this pool just waiting for the water to bubble up. Now, what we probably assume here is that it was an artisan well. And so when water flooded from underground wells and underground water systems, um, it, it would fill the pool. And when that would happen, it would kind of bubble up and kind of stir. And, and so there was some science behind it. But for them, this myth was created. And so here's this man. He is so desperate that he wants to be the first person into this, you know, bubbling pool of water because he, he's just hoping that maybe the myth is real. We look at that and we can kind of laugh and say, man, it's just a well. I mean, it's just like a, like a, if you've been out west, you've seen the hot springs in Colorado and at Yellowstone and, and you know, it's just kind of a natural well, man. It's just not a big deal. But it's like when you are desperate, you'll try anything. I mean, when your life is on the line, when, when somebody is sick and deathly ill, when, when there's a situation with your own child or, or it's you specifically and, 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 and the doctors aren't giving you very good news, there, there is a crippling moment in your life, maybe physically, and you are so desperate, man, you will try anything. And so here's this man for at least 38 years, maybe he was born that way, we're not sure, but for 38 years He's been crippled and, and, and now he finds himself, he's been at this pool for a long time and Jesus comes up to him and he asks him a very, what appears to be a dumb question. <laughs> I mean, I mean when at first glance, Jesus, why would you be asking him this question? He says, sir, do you want to be healed? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, what kind of question is that? But on second thought, maybe not such a dumb question. Maybe it's such a wise question that we need to pause for a minute and think about it. Because the truth is, not everyone wants to be healed. Some of you know people maybe who are abusing drugs and you know, live in a lifestyle that's wrecking them physically. And, and you can clearly see the answer to how they can be healed and, and how they can get well. And yet, yet they don't want that. 
you, you know people in these situations. And, and it's almost like Jesus may be asking, not just are you wanting right now a physical healing, but, but maybe Jesus is implying somewhat of a spiritual healing as well. And, and maybe, maybe this man is being prepared a little bit because when he is healed, he's gonna have to take some responsibility for his life. I mean, for 38 years, he's been collecting handouts. He's been asking you know, people to give him food and give him money so he can survive. But if you get well, everything's gonna change. I mean, you've gotta, you know, you, you, you've gotta be a productive member of society now. No more handouts. You've gotta work. You've gotta get your life together. And so Jesus asked a, a very provocative question here. And as he continues, I think the man reveals even more of his heart. You see, his answer reveals his attitude. His, his, his answer and his response reveals kind of, you know, where, where, where he's at. Because Jesus says, hey, do you want to be healed? And he says, well, actually, Jesus, I, I, um, I'm trying to get into the pool, you know, when it's stirred up. I'm trying to be the first one in. And, and every time it's stirred up, somebody beats me in there. So to answer your question, Jesus... Yes, I want to be healed. So sit right here for a minute, and when it, when it bubbles up, pick me up and throw me in the water, you know? I'll just cannonball. Just, you know, pick me up and throw me in. Help me be the first one in. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, yeah, we could do that. Or, I mean, I guess I could heal you. I mean, I could heal you right now. <laughs> and so he does. He says, pick up your mat and walk. And the man is miraculously healed. He is healed. Can you imagine responding uh, to Jesus in that way? Here is the um, Messiah. I mean, he is king over all creation. For, for him to heal is, is, is nothing. I mean, this is, this is the king of kings. He has power over sin and death. And, and he can do anything that, that his will desires. And, and here this man is, is asking him to throw him into the water. But, you know, I think the truth is it's happening in this room today. The Savior of the world, power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And we don't think he can change our situation. We don't think he can really change our relationship. He, he can't really heal me. I mean, that's, that's what doctors are for, Trent. And he can't really change financially where we're at, Trent, because, you know, we just have so much debt. And, you know, we can pray about it and we can ask people to pray for us. But at the end of the day, we sell God short. We'd rather, you know, pick up a, a Joel Steen book and read it because it makes us feel good or watch late night, you know, televangelists who say, you know, turn in a hundred dollars and or whatever amount of money and you're gonna see a miracle and and we'll we'll be more likely to believe the finite, you know, wisdom of man more than the infinite power of God. And I'm not knocking a book or anything. I'm just saying that we we are more likely to lean into what people say more so than to lean into what God is saying. Trusting him, believing him. So we have to, in our moment of desperation, really think through, are we, are we seeking God? Are we, are we pressing into God? Are we pressing into who he is? And, and are we pressing into what God wants and, and, and is trying to do through us? Let's look at verse 10. It continues. Oh, verse 9 says, and, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. 
So that is a problem for some. Verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Let's just stop right there. So, so there, the man, he's healed, he takes up his bed and he walks and the Jewish leaders have a problem with this. Instead of praising God and, and, and being like overwhelmed with, wow, this is amazing, this guy who we knew has been laying here for a long time, he's been paralyzed, is now healed. Instead of that, we're, we wanna point our fingers at somebody and get somebody in trouble here. They're jealous of Jesus. And, and the fact is, he, this man, he has broken one of our Sabbath day laws. Now, it wasn't a biblical law. It wasn't a, a, a law that you know, God put in his word. Um, the Jewish leaders had created 39 different laws that you could not do on the Sabbath. And one of them was to pick something up and take it to some, some place. And so, so the man has, obviously he's broken that one because he's, you know, forgive me, but I'm crippled and I actually stood up and I, you know, and I picked up my mat and I walked. And so they had a problem with that. And so they asked him, hey, why are you breaking the law? And his response is, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just laying here, you know, minding my own. And this dude comes up and he says, pick up my mat and walk. What am I supposed to do? You know, I'm crip. I'm going to pick up my mat and I'm, I'm going to walk. And it's almost like, you know, he's like, hey, 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 you know, don't blame me. Blame the guy that, that healed me. It's kind of like Adam in the very beginning in the garden when he ate the fruit and God said, Adam, what did you do? And he's like, whoa, 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 the woman you gave me. You know, she gave me the fruit. And so it's like, this is like, you know, we are acting just like our, our, our father, Adam. Every time we blame somebody else for a, a wrong that we've done or, or any kind of, you know, so any kind of accusation that we experience and we, we blame. That's why so many of you can't overcome issues in your marriage because you just keep blaming each other for various uh, parts of, of, of the relationship. And so the man is, is, is pointing his finger saying, well, not me, you know, this is Jesus guy. He told me to do it, and, and he didn't know who Jesus was. He just kind of walked away, and, and uh, we don't see any evidence here of the man worshiping Jesus, believing in Jesus, anything like that. So let's look at verse 12. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? In verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, this is an interesting verse that we just want to pause on for a second because Jesus here sees the man healed and he says, Oh, sweet man, you see you're healed. Make sure you don't sin anymore or something worse is going to happen to you. And so I read that and I think, Well, wait a minute. <clears throat> Does that mean that every time we sin, God is going to punish us with, with something, you know, bad, like he's going to cripple us or, or we're going to experience, you know, bad stuff. You know, every time something bad happens to us, if you were raised in like a legalistic uh, church or, or even just kind of a legalistic religion, any, anytime something bad happens to you, maybe your initial thought is, God is judging me. God is making this happen because I lied last week, you know, or, or God is doing this because of what I did 20 years ago. You know, I got that, you know, that thing that happened back then and he's still, so is God, is God punishing us every time we sin? Is God punishing us, you know, when we're, 
when we're experiencing sin in our life? And I think it's a, it's a good question to ask, but you know, we also have to remember in John 4 where the, there's a blind man that Jesus heals and, and the disciples say, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Is he blind because he, you know, his parents sinned or because he sinned? And Jesus said, neither. He, he's blind so that God would receive the glory. And so it's important for us to realize that just because something bad is happen, happening to us, somebody is sick, somebody has cancer, you know, some, some, some negative thing is happening to you, it's not necessarily God punishing you for a specific sin. Now, you know, suffering is not always a result of sin, but it is sometimes. So if you've got cancer today and you've smoked for 30 years, I mean, there's some there's some connectivity there, obviously. If you cheat on your, your spouse and you lose your family, there's obviously some reaping what, we, what we've sown there. And so we, we kind of create situations at times, but, but in other situations, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've done something that God is like pointing his finger at us and God's not up there with, you know, with this cane beating us in the head every time we mess up. And so we don't want to view God in that light. And so instead of, of beating ourselves up over the reason, the, the purpose behind any situation, good or bad, is so that we would give glory to God. So if it's a good situation that we're experiencing today, the, the, the purpose of that good in your life is so that you would point to God as the giver of all good gifts and praise him for what he is doing good in your life. And if there's a, if there's a bad situation, you're the guy who is desperate, you need a miracle today, the point behind that is still that we would look to God and that we would point to God as the giver of all good things and worship him and give him glory in that situation. Let's continue. <clears throat> Verse 15, the man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. <laughs> In other words, <laughs> he's like, look, I know it's the Sabbath, but God's working on the Sabbath and I'm working on the Sabbath, period. <laughs> he doesn't explain, he doesn't go into detail. He, he, he pretty much equates himself to God at that moment. He's saying, you know, that he, he, is, he is really declaring that he is God and, and he is in very nature the same as God by making this statement. That's what really ticks off the Jewish leaders. He's doing these things on the Sabbath. He's saying things like this, equating himself to God. And so they're, they're irate, they're, they're upset. But to the, to the man here, what's the man doing in verse 15? He finds out who Jesus is. And again, his response in this um, miraculous time of his life wasn't to love Jesus, to worship Jesus, to thank Jesus. It was to, you know, leave and go straight to the Jewish leaders and say, oh, hey, hey, I found out who it was. His name is Jesus. He's the guy that did this to me. So the response to a desperate situation is God comes and he heals and his response to that grace and that mercy is to run and tell on Jesus, essentially to cover his tracks so that he doesn't get in trouble with the Jewish leaders anymore. Isn't that interesting? That his response was not belief, it wasn't faith, it wasn't trust. His response was really selfishness. His response was really ungratefulness. 
And so when we look at desperation in our life, when we look at God's grace in our life, one example of how we shouldn't respond to God is with ungratefulness and with selfishness. Now, think about it for a minute. When it comes to your salvation, when it comes to a relationship in your life that's been healed, when it comes to a physical healing that somebody you know or you yourself has experienced, when God helps you overcome debt, when God allows you to overcome whatever situation, he provides the job, he allows you to have the child or whatever it is, you've been asking, you've been praying, you've been seeking God to do this, and then he shows up and he does it. What's your response to that? You know, unfortunately, we see this over and over again. We're praying, we're seeking, we're counseling with people. They experience whatever it is that breakthrough was that they were hoping for. And then it's like little by little, stop serving in church, stop coming to church. It's almost as if, God, we need you, we need you. Oh, about time, thank you. And then we are back to business as usual. And so we want to guard ourselves against that type of response to a holy God. That type of response that we would say, you know what, God, you know, we, we knew you could and it's about time that you did it, but we've got other things that we've got to do. We've got other priorities now. How quickly we forget the hand of God upon our life and we take it for granted when, when it's there. And, and we take it for granted when he actually answers our prayer. We go right back to the old lifestyle Immediately after we experience him, no worship, no, no increase in our devotion or commitment to him. Um, it's just the same. It's business as usual. Flip back to chapter four now, and I want to see an example of, of a response that should ins inspire us and encourage us. And so we'll begin in verse 46, John chapter four. So Jesus, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. So he's going back to Cana. This is where he, he, he's done his first miracle. His first miracle was, was turning, at the wedding, he turned water into wine. And so word was kind of spreading around the area what, what he had done. And, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Desperation. How many parents in the room ever had a child sick? Raise your hand, let me see you parents in the room. When a child of yours is sick, Instant desperation, right? Every mom in the room who's ever been in a park, at the mall, at the store, anywhere in public, and your little one wanders off or you know, gets lost, there is a moment of panic, desperation in your life. You know, it, it could only be for a five to 10 second period of your life, but that five to 10 seconds of your life is brutal, isn't it? I'll never forget our son at Disney World. You know how packed Disney World is. The first time we've ever been and, and we're walking around and all of a sudden we, we don't see Bryson. I mean, instant panic. You know, five seconds later we see him, you know, in the store picking out a toy or whatever and it's like, get over here, you know. And so that moment of panic, here's where this man is living right now. His son was ill. When this man, verse 47 heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Okay, we know even a little bit more. So he's not just ill, he's at the point of death. And so word was traveling that Jesus was 
um, a special person. He's, he's, he's done a miracle earlier in our town. He changed water to wine. And so this official at this point, you know, would have had all the resources, all the doctors. He would have had everything that he needed in order to get his son well. My guess is he's, he's, he's tried everything. He's been to the doctors, he's tried all the modern medicine, and nothing is helping his son. And so he hears Jesus is coming into town. This is the guy that did a miracle last time. Maybe if I can get him to come to my house, just maybe he can help my son. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's almost like Jesus is a little frustrated here. He's rolling his eyes just a little bit. He's like, you know, there's skepticism, you know, in the world today. And, and, and there's something in us as human beings that we always want to see the miraculous. We want to see the powerful. We want to see, you know, something that entertains us. I mean, we are definitely an entertainment-driven culture. And so it's like, you know, if... if, if if the only reason why we have faith is because we see something miraculous, then guess what it's gonna take us to get back next Sunday? Something else that's miraculous. It's like every single time we, you know, if, if, if the miraculous is the only thing that we want and the only thing that's gonna keep us going and encouraged, then, then, then we're missing the very point of the miracle. We focus more on the work than the worker. And so we see this on TV and we see this in people that, you know, this you know, person who is anointed and he speaks or he's doing this or he's doing that. And so large crowds gather. And, and so the point is, wait, let's slow down here. The point of any miracle is not to entertain. Miracles shouldn't never cost us money, by the way. The whole point of a miracle is to point us to Jesus so that, our, so, so that we would have faith in him. So that our, our faith would grow in him if we're already believers. If we're not believers, that we would have faith in him. And so Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. So the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So again, he's invited him to come to his house. Can you please come over to my house so that you can heal my son maybe? Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And the, and the man just says simply, he's like, okay, so can you come over? <laughs> can you come over to the house? See, unbelievers don't understand the power of God. This, this man, obviously an unbeliever at this point, he doesn't realize that Jesus doesn't have to physically come to his house. But he believes that maybe if he can come to my house, he can lay his, lay his hands on him maybe and pray over him. Or maybe he kind of do some ritual or do something and, and my son will be healed. But, but the power of Jesus is not limited by a small finite brain like my brain and your brain. Like we can't put God in a box. We can't put the, the, the power of Jesus in a, a box here. Jesus can heal at his very word. He doesn't have to be there. So, so listen, in your moment of desperation, it's just one counseling meeting. If this counseling meeting doesn't work, then it's not gonna, our marriage is gonna fail. If our son doesn't come here or do this in this particular moment, if he goes to that school instead of this school, it's all gonna fall apart. And if the doctors don't do this or if they can't fix it with this treatment right here, right now, then it's not gonna work. So let's not limit the power of Jesus. Let's not limit the power of, of God in our lives. He can heal anytime, any place, 
in any setting he chooses. He's not limited by time and space. Sir, come down. And Jesus said in verse 50, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, about 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. A panicked, desperate father. A few things we want to see here. First off, this this man, he, he is asking Jesus for help. So the father is seeking Jesus for help. So if you need a miracle today, if you're desperate today, let me, let me just uh, speak the obvious. Are you seeking Jesus for this? Are you personally seeking Jesus for this? Because, you know, it's easy to say, hey, pray for me. It's easy to tell people about your problems. It's easy to be depressed and, and to sulk. But are you personally seeking help from Jesus? Are you praying about this yourself? I see this man you know, who is desperate, he is seeking Jesus for help. The father is also asking Jesus to come to his house. Obviously, you know, he, he doesn't understand the power of God. So the, the, the point here is not to limit the power of God and, and to believe and trust in God's power that he can do whatever he chooses to do in that situation. The father also believes Jesus at his word and he left. To me, that's the hardest part of this story, if you think about it. Jesus says, go, your son will be healed. Oh, but wait, are you sure? Is there like something you could give me? Can you write that down? <laughs> you know, if you do a contract or, are you sure you can't just come over, just take five minutes? Because, you know, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to give us his word and to tell us he's gonna do something. It's another to say, okay, and then walk away and trust him. See, that's the response of this man that's inspiring to me. He responds to Jesus with, with trust and belief. His son had not been healed at that point. Mind you, do not forget that. He leaves at the word of Jesus. He trusts Jesus in that moment and he walks away. Trusting and believing that Jesus is gonna come through at his, on his word. And then his servants come and meet him and say, hey, he's better, your son is well. And he says, when was it? What time of day was it? And they said, it's about 1 p.m. And he says, that was the hour, man. That was the same time that Jesus said that he was gonna be healed, that he was gonna be better. And guess what, his, guess what he does? He believes in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. And not only him, but his entire household believes in Jesus. So you look at that story and you think, man, this man's response to desperation was to seek Jesus and trust Jesus. What's your response? The story ends well for this father. His son is better. And we see the the end result and we think, oh yeah, well, it ends happily ever after, right? I mean, but, but my question too is like, did the son have to get sick for the whole family to accept Jesus? I don't know. I know that that's what God used in their life. 
I'm sure the father would have said, you know, is is there any other situation that could take place? I don't want it like this, God. I I want you to save me. I want to experience your love. But I don't want it to happen like this. Have you ever said that? I don't don't want this to happen. Can it be something else, something easier, something different? I want what that guy has, not what I got, you know? Uh Uh-uh. This is what God has put in your life to deal with. And this man responds with faith, belief, trust. And you must do the same. You know, maybe God heals. Maybe God saves. But maybe he hasn't yet. And so it's in those moments that we realize that this this whole life is, is, is about pursuing Jesus and giving him glory with our life. And so you getting healed, you getting somebody else healed is, is not really the ultimate goal here. And that's what's hard for us. The ultimate goal for you and I is to become what God wants us to become and, and to give him glory. And so the bottom line for today, if you, if you haven't gotten anything else, is, is the hour you believe is the hour you become. The hour you believe is the hour you become. At that very hour when this man believed Jesus and he left him, he became who Jesus wanted him to become. He was becoming that man because he was walking in faith. And so he's, he's walking and trusting Jesus and, and he is becoming the man that God wants him to become, ultimately leading him to faith. Ultimately, he's seeing healing in his son, You see, the hour that you believe and trust in Jesus is the hour that you're going to become what God wants you to become. Whether that's healing, whether that's whatever prayer you're praying and seeking gets answered, you are praying, you are seeking God, you are seeking wisdom, you're pressing into Jesus, and that's what God desires, that we would would press into him, we would become who he wants us to Become, and that takes a journey that sometimes is difficult to walk. You know, we've got a family in our church that has walked recently a very difficult path. Um, and this whole last year has been extremely, extremely challenging for them. And I wanted you uh, to hear their story right now. Whenever I was younger, I used to say that the only thing that I ever wanted was a house with a fence and two kids and a husband and a dog. And I had everything that I'd ever dreamed of. Brayden, um, he was supposed to go to kindergarten, so he had been going to kindergarten. He had been, um, he went four days and he had told me a few times and that his stomach was hurting. So. I thought he was nervous, so I'm just going to take him to the doctor to get looked at because I thought that him hearing the doctor say he's okay would make him realize, okay, I'm okay, this is nothing. So it was a Thursday morning, and he was riding around on his scooter, and I was on the phone with his kindergarten teacher. We were talking about um, field trips and glue sticks and what I needed to write his name on and all these things. and. I said, all right, boys, let's, let's get in the car. Let's go to the, go to the doctor really quick. And we get to the doctor and they call us back and he comes in and he looks at Brayden and he pushes on his stomach and he said, he got up and he said, I'll be right back. 
like half joking. I said, well, he's going to be okay, right? And the doctor looked at me and he said, I don't know, Chelsea. And he left the room and I was like, what do you mean you, you don't know? He's was just on his scooter, like here, he's right here, he's fine. So they told us um, we needed to go to Children's immediately. So we go to Children's, they do an ultrasound and I could tell by her face that every time she scanned and she clicked, she just, I could just tell that something wasn't right and I, I was crying and she got up and she came over to me, I'd been pacing and she grabbed me by my shoulders and she said, your little boy needs you to be strong. And I had to step outside because it was kind of too much. And I called my mom and I said, mom, they're fixing to tell me that Brayden has cancer. And she said, honey, you don't know that. And I said, no, I do. I said, that's, that's what they're about to tell me. And uh, I said, I'll call you back. My husband and I drove home to get some clothes and we got home and we walked in and this house has never felt so empty. And I saw Brayden's handprint on the refrigerator from his first day of kindergarten. And I just looked around and I thought, I can't imagine him not here. You know, I said, I've had a miscarriage and now Brayden is sick. I said, I feel like I make broken things. The next day, um, they did a scan and um, they told us that they were gonna have to do surgery. They were gonna have to remove his kidney. We really clung to um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And I really, really held on to that because I knew that that was all that I needed. If that was all that I had was God's grace, then that was enough. That was enough to get us through. Before they wheeled Brayden into surgery, he asked them to, if they could stop his bed so that he could pray. And he prayed. At six years old, my son had faith that God would heal him. So I knew that I had to have that faith. And the nurse said that, um, that she's never felt God's presence so much in an operating room. But I, I just thought, you know, I know if this helps one person, if one person is encouraged, by this, if one person can see God through this, then this is this is why he's done this. When the surgeon came out from doing his surgery or from doing brain surgery, he said it was textbook. The nurse from the OR wrote us a letter saying that we had changed her life because of our faith in God. And it wasn't ever that I was trying to demonstrate some act. It was that God was all that I had. And I knew that God could heal Brayden, and I believe that he would, and I believe that he did. Currently, Brayden is in kindergarten. He goes to school every day. Most days, he doesn't want to go, <laughs> and is a completely normal child. You would never even know that anything had happened to him. Um, every single day is exciting. Every single day is something to be thankful for, because every single day is a day that he's here when, for 24 hours, we didn't really know if that was gonna be the case. Whenever we started, you know, and I wanted God to bless somebody, I didn't never, I never thought it was me that would be the one that was blessed from my son having cancer. But I, but I was, and we are, and we're better for it.
Ellen Braden says to this day, I'll say, do you, do you know who we love more than anybody in the world? And he said, he'll say, you love me, Mama, but I know you love God more. And if that's the only thing that I ever teach him, that's, I feel like I've won as a parent. This is Brayden and Brayden's little brother, Carter. And uh, would you welcome them? So first of all, thank you for sharing your story with everybody. Um, and so through the whole experience, um, what, what did God teach you? What, what would be the one thing that you would say God has taught you? I would start with um, the, one of the boys' favorite movies is Thomas the Train, Tale of the Brave. And in the movie... Mine too. To- <laughs> in the movie, Thomas asked another train, he said... How can I be brave when I feel scared? And the other train looks at him and says, being, a br- being brave isn't about not being scared. It's about what you do when you're scared. So I would just say that God has taught me to be brave and to not put my hope or my faith in my circumstances, but to give it all to him because his grace is sufficient. That's like Miss America. <laughs> <laughs> Miss America. That's hilarious. Well... I think we were we were so blessed, you know, just by the whole the whole story and and um, seeing these guys playing and, and enjoying life and um, you know we heard that hey Braden you guys we, we heard that you guys he likes looking at himself <laughs> I do too I just kind of uh, you guys I heard that you guys like Dollywood and Splash Country and all that kind of stuff so. What we decided to do as a Mother's Day gift is to give your whole family Dollywood passes in Splash Country. So is that cool? <laughs> thank you. Good. Thank you so, thank you again for sharing. And, and guys, we love you. And um, we're so excited that God has done this in your life. Give me five guys. Give me some. Give me some love. All right. Thank Would you guys you. thank them again? Thank you, you guys can go on. You know, she really sums it up there um, because the truth is no matter what you experience today, whatever, whatever illness, whatever miracle you're seeking, whatever desperation you're, you're, you're experiencing today, your problem really isn't that illness. Your problem really isn't that situation at all. Your problem right now is your response to what you think your problem is. Because it's all about our response. We, we don't get to choose our circumstances. We don't get to choose the, the trials that we go through. God gives those situations to us and, and, and it's up to us to make the right response to him. Will we, will we pursue him with trust and belief despite what the world says, despite what it looks like around us? Or, or will we be selfish? Will we be ungrateful? My encouragement for you today is to be like the, the, the panicked father who changed into the powerful father because he turned to the Prince of Peace. And, 
And the Prince of Peace, our Savior, wants to grant you that same peace and that same joy through whatever circumstance you're facing today. And so this is how we're gonna close today. We're gonna close by seeking Jesus. And I know for a fact that there are people in this room who are seeking miracles. They're facing desperate situations. You're praying for a friend who is sick, a loved one. You're you're praying for your own marriage or somebody else's marriage. You're praying for a son or a daughter who may be uh, off in the far country. Whatever situation that you find yourself today, my, my challenge for you to respond is to come forward as the band plays this incredible song over us entitled Miracle Maker. Look, I know we're a Baptist church, but we believe in the miracles of Jesus. He is still working miracles today. The Holy Spirit of God lives within us and and, and the miracle working power of our Savior still flows through this room and and in this world. And uh, we wanna seek him just like the Father. We wanna seek Jesus and and ask him for help today and trust and believe that whatever his response is, is the right response. And so as I pray, I wanna encourage you guys to move and and then the band will sing over us and we can just gather here at the front and, and pray over each other and encourage each other as we close our service and time together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We ask God that you would hear the prayers that we are about to offer in this place. And as we seek you, we expect you to answer. We expect to see miracles in this place. We expect to see miracles all over this church. And so we bow before you in honor, in reverence, in worship, and in praise today. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.